When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and happy polling day. Welcome to this political party polling day special with Martin Angus, who's one of the funniest guests in the history of the show. He was brilliant during a, a 2019 general election special. So I had to get him back for this polling day, local election, Holyrood, Senate, London, mayoral, PCC, all the other types of elections we're having today. And to give those of you that work in politics a bit of light relief and um, perhaps a bit of therapy, um, because what you're going through today is uh, can be very stressful, also very exciting. And for those of you that haven't been activists or aren't activists yet or haven't worked for political parties, this is, again, another hilarious insight into what polling day actually involves if you are an activist or a member of party staff. And this, Martin covers everything here, from taking numbers on polling stations to being at the count to campaigning in different parts of the country in every uh, corner. Of, uh, of Britain that today has elections. He's got stories from everywhere and just the madness of political campaigning, the eccentricity of it that sometimes isn't covered elsewhere. The chaos of it is gloriously represented here today. So firstly, happy polling day. If you haven't voted yet, please go out and vote. If you had a postal vote, if you have a postal vote and you didn't send it back in time, you can walk it down to your polling station today. So hopefully... Um, everyone will be out there voting. You'll all be enjoying it. I just wanted to put out a... Um, I mean, Martin is Labour. He used to work for the Labour Party. He works for Labour. He works for the LGA, the Local Government Association, uh, on the Labour side. Um, if you've not heard his previous episode, him and Sal Michel were hilarious. He's got some great stories of working for John Prescott. Martin was with him on that fateful day in 2001 when he got in a fight in the street. Um, so he has so many great stories, Martin. He's worked all over Britain for Labour, campaigning in all sorts of different seats, all sorts, all sorts of different times, with all sorts of different outcomes. So this is just a collection of great polling day stories, just as a just as a treat really for all of you, so that we just enjoy, because it's the one thing I miss from working in politics, is polling day is so exciting. Get up early, you know, this is when it all comes down to this, it's like cup final day. And those of you that work in politics will know that, and those of you that have worked in it, but it's just such a thrill, and then waiting for the results, which even though it wasn't that long ago in my day, they started counting them immediately on the Thursday night. Um, that doesn't happen many places anymore. So uh, the results from today will come in in the coming days. So obviously looking at Scotland, what happens there? Hartlepool. On Hartlepool, by the way, and that will be fascinating to see what happens. The political party returns to the stage on the 24th of May with the former MP for Hartlepool, Peter Mandelson, which, of course, it was going to be exciting enough as it is. But regardless of what happens in Hartlepool, it's going to be massive either way. 
the perfect guest to return uh, to the stage with Peter Mandelson and Saeed Avasi on the 24th of May. On the 25th of May, I'm joined by Keir Starmer and Andrea Ledson. That show has already sold out. On the 2nd of June, I'm joined by Jess Phillips and Esther McVeigh. All three of those are in the West End. The first two at the Garrick, the second at the Vaudeville Theatre. You can get tickets for all of them, apart from the 25th of May. All tickets for that have gone at mattford.com slash live. But my word, I didn't realise when I booked it that Hartlepool was going to be such a big part of the story of what happens in this round of elections. But there we are. The fates have aligned. Peter Mandelson live on stage in just a couple of weeks' time in the aftermath of the Hartlepool by-election, whichever way that goes. So if you're working on the Hartlepool by-election, I hope this episode brings you some light relief, whatever side you're on. Um, <laughs> it's a great story about the North East referendum here that I will not ruin. Don't forget, you can email the show, politicalpartypodcast at gmail.com. And uh, a wonderful um, theme uh, has emerged about awkward places or weird places that you've seen politicians or awkward moments you've had with them. Email the show, politicalpartypodcast at gmail.com. Stephen got in touch and he said, uh, my awkward moment was at the Labour conference a few years ago in Manchester, standing outside with the main hotel bars trying to entertain someone with an anecdote. It was late and I was too tired and too many beers into the evening to make the story work and I just ran out of steam. But the person I was trying to impress was very kind and it was you, by which he means me, Stephen. Oh my word. Well, I hope, I hope it's not too embarrassing a moment for you. Don't worry about it. I'm sure the story was very, very funny. I do have a vague memory, but I can't. Basically, don't worry about it. I mean, God knows. I, I, I will have I will have at party conferences bored so many people with terrible stories. It's not worth beating yourself up over. But if you've encountered a politician, not just a comedian, uh, in a strange place, or let yourself down in front of a politician, let us know. Politicalpartypodcast at gmail.com. Do leave a review on iTunes as well, and thank you to all of those of you that have. It does. It helps it get it up the charts. helps other people find it. Um, there was one in particular that, that I just thought I'd mention, um, who says, I didn't realise it was possible to enjoy politics or find politics interesting until I started to listen to this podcast. Well, whoever you are, thank, that is the best compliment I think I've ever had. Um, and that the whole point of the show, obviously, is to have human conversations with interesting people. But, of course... The kind of subtext is that I want people to get into politics and I want people to enjoy it in the same way that I do or did. And um, to, not to be totally unquestioning, um, but perhaps to be a little less cynical about people from all political parties. So whoever you are, thank you so much for leaving that review. You can leave a review and be similarly complimentary um, by leaving a review on, on iTunes. And it does just help other people find it. So thank you very much. Anyway, enough of all this. Oh, I say that while I'm on podcasts, um, I'm co-hosting a new podcast called British Scandal um, with Alice Levine from My Dad Wrote a Porno, which is a brilliant podcast. And it's a fantastic podcast, this, that we're doing together. And each series looks at a different historical British scandal. The first series is about the murder of Alexander Litvinenko. And it, I know I would say this coming involved in it. It is completely enthralling. There's so much about that story that, either I've forgotten in time or didn't know at the time. And some of the details of it are incredible. So if you like this show, maybe you'll like that. I've put a link to it in the blurb. Um, so that's British Scandal, which uh, is a new podcast I'm doing. Um, anyway, 
I'm over promoting a load of stuff here. The paperback of my book is out as well in a few days. I I was going to say I wasn't going to mention it, but now I've mentioned it. So there you go. I don't think there's anything else I need to tell you. I shall now leave you um, with this brilliant conversation with one of the best guests in the history of the show. This is a polling day special with the brilliant Martin Angus. Martin, thank you so much for coming back. Your election special in 2019 with Sal Mashar is one of the most popular episodes in the history of the show. So I wanted to get you back on, just so, mainly because your stories are great and it's probably the funniest episode in the history of the show. But for people who are going to be out there today on the door knocker doing leaflets just to hear some funny stories from elections gone by. And for people who listen to the show but haven't been political activists just to give them a flavour of it. So um, do you still get a buzz on polling day? Oh, absolutely. And, and you know, first thing I should say is go and vote Labour. If you, you know, if you don't <laughs> consider, go out and vote Labour. And if you're not voting Labour, leave it till the weekend. You know, avoid the rush. I mean, all this COVID, you don't want to get COVID. You know, the government's advice is bring your own pencil. So I'd leave it till Saturday or Sunday if you're voting Conservative. Um, but if you're voting Labour, get down there today. Get there, down there now. Yeah, yeah. Polling day is a great bus, I think, for all of us. Um, you know, it's like that nervous excitement of a child before Christmas. Um, and even now, you know, I'm 51 soon and I still get that, um, you know, that sort of sick feeling, you know, are you going to do well? Are you going to win? And um, all those feelings that go through your mind. And you tend to run on adrenaline on polling day. You know, we've all been there doing the 5 a.m. leaflet round and, you know, in the pouring rain and trying not to wake people up as you pull a garden gate to and all those dreadful things. Um, but, uh, and you know, by the end of the day, you're absolutely exhausted and then you've got to try and freshen up and uh, go to a count and see whether you've won or not. Um, I think this year the counts are going to take place staggered over several days, so we're not going to really have uh, a lot of results till perhaps uh, uh, at the end of the weekend or even, even early next week because of the amount of elections there are um, and because of uh, doing it safely. So, um, so it'll be a long time. But, I mean, I think uh, Poland Day, I, I would say to anyone, if, you know, um, you're out and about on Poland Day and you're the candidate, um, then obviously you want to be seen as much as possible. Um, 28 years ago, I stood for the county council in Bedfordshire and I got my twin brother to come and help. Um, and uh, basically, um, we looked a bit alike then. I'm too fat now, so I don't look anything like him now. Bastard, he's all thin. Um, but uh, at the time, we looked very similar. And so I sent him down these stairs. I said, you go down those streets. Don't tell him you're not the candidate. They'll all think they've met the candidate. And um, and hopefully that worked quite well. I mean, I didn't win, and I was never expected to win. But um, it seemed like a, a good little wee. So if you've got an identical twin, make sure you use them on polling day. Um, the thing is about having a, a slimmer identical twin, though, is that could be handy because if if you were standing this time, you could send him out and people say, oh, you're looking ever so good, Martin. You've lost weight. <laughs> he actually, he did um, a, a host did a visit by Sadiq the other day. He runs um, a charity, a, a homeless and mental health charity. And uh, he had the mayor of London visiting, um, uh, which was great. And uh, earlier in the um, uh, campaign, um, he had Sean Bailey as well. So for a small charity to have... Um, 
the, the Labour candidate and the Conservative candidate visit is quite good. So I'm quite proud of him, really. That's really you should be very proud of him. So polling day today, what will you be doing? Will you be up early leafleting or now that I you're... Be, I won't be up early at my age, no. <laughs> we've, got, um, we've got obviously the London elections and in Croydon where I live, we've got five council by-elections, um, one in a particular tight ward. So um, I will be up and I'll be... Um, uh, spending my day uh, in this in this one ward, um, I think they've got me down to do telling, you know, taking numbers on the polling station because at my age and with my dodgy hip, they realise that trying to get me to walk around all day isn't something that's uh, that's going to work well. So you know, I need to come home for a nap in the afternoon. Uh, whereas if they stick me stick me a rosette on and make me look like a sort of farmyard animal who's won a prize um, outside a polling station and just leave me there for several hours taking numbers then uh, then that's fine you know i'm not going to leave my post so i'll stay there as long as it's necessary because taking numbers on a polling station often is the more elderly members of a campaign it's you know? it is, yeah i'm glad i've reached that stage now because <laughs> yeah. a lot of the public don't know the function of that so they might think that um parties do it because it's the last thing you see and maybe that'll influence you a bit if you see a labor rosette or a lib dem or a tory or an smp rosette but it has an important function, doesn't it? Because if you give that person your poll card number, that means you're taken off the list. And then yes, the theory is you then don't get pestered for the rest of the day. Yeah, it has a very important function. So where, where parties have the ability and the resources, then the whole point of taking those numbers is to know who's actually turned up to vote so that then you don't knock them up if they're on your supporters list um, later in the day. So it's about basically making sure you're using your resources um, uh, to, the, to the best ability. So, you know, in tight elections, it's, it's quite crucial, really, um, that you get that information if you can. I always try and be nice now that I'm not working for a political party. Whenever I see any party at a polling station, I always give them a poll card number and I'm always <laughs> nice to them. Because I think oh, it's such a thankless task. Have you done it before? Uh, and if so, are most people nice? Or have you ever had any stick doing it? I have done it before. And I think what you often get is where other parties do, you tend to um, share the numbers. Um, th there's no point not to. I think there was one by-election where um, it, it might have been Hodge Hill where, where I was doing that. And I, and I told someone, basically, someone was taking numbers. And I said, it was a tight battle between Labour and the Lib Dems. And I said, if you take any numbers... Um, and you get the number, just give the Lib Dems the wrong number. And they basically just, I said, you'll have to give them some. So maybe one in three, you give them the wrong number. And the aim was to basically screw up their um, polling day operation. But generally, yeah, we're all quite nice and we get on. I mean, some people come in and they ask you what you're doing it for. And some people clearly look at you and, uh, you know, give you a hard stare or not on your life, mate, or whatever. But, but most people are happy to do that. I think some people know that the... Um, uh, that by giving you that number, they're probably not going to get a visit later in the day when they're watching Emmerdale or EastEnders. They're quite relieved about that, really. So let's talk about some of the campaigns you've worked on. The last time you were on, we talked about the general election. And today, there's all sorts of elections going on. Holyrood, the Senate, uh, the London Mayor, all, all Metro Mayors, elected Mayors, Police and Crime Commissioners. You've got experience in all these different local elections. And they are distinct from general elections sometimes in their tone and experience. There's a lot of focus for Labour on Hartlepool. And polling earlier this week suggests that the Tories might win it. Um, did, you work, have you, did you work on the previous Hartlepool by-election in 2004? 
I didn't work on the by-election as such. I was up um, in the area for the Northeast referendum, which was kind of at the same time, the Northeast referendum on regional government. Um, and so, so we were a bit, um, uh, we did some work in Hartlepool. I remember taking JP um, to Hartlepool. and um, Prescott? Yep, yeah, sorry. <laughs> pushing, Old habits. People pushing, <laughs> people pushing him. And um, uh, one guy came along and thought, I'm going to, you know, really sort of that big guy. And... Um, push this guy next to him who just happened to be one of his security um, coppers who had a gun and I'm thinking that's the wrong person to push. I mean push me by all means but don't push that man he's got a gun. Um, and I was thinking about the Hartlepool by that I mean you know Hartlepool's an interesting place I mean they obviously when they had a, the first mayoral election um, they elected someone called Hangus the Monkey. Mm -hmm. I was almost thinking I should stand this time as Mangus the Monkey. <laughs> um, he monkey did three out. terms, that bloke. He did three terms. Apparently, he turned out to be quite a good mayor. I mean, I mean, accidentally been elected uh, <laughs> in a monkey outfit. But um, and then, of course, they, they've now since got rid of the mayor. They've had a referendum and, and changed their governance structures and got rid of the mayor. So, I mean, it, you know, it's an interesting place, and who knows what will happen. I mean, you know, I hope Paul Williams will win, but, but you know, it's not it's not looking fantastic if you believe the polls that you've seen over no. the last few days. So the Northeast referendum, that uh, so many it's one of those forgotten referendums. People forget the AB. We all tried to forget it. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't go up for that. I wasn't kind of old enough, really, um, to be involved in the Northeast referendum. Worked on it. I mean, we're in a little club. Me, uh, Tim Carter, Nan Sloan, Harriet Anderson, and you know, that we whenever we're reminded of it, you know, it still sends shivers through us. Really, it really does. <laughs> Why? I mean, is it just is it just as simple as? People just weren't interested in having a Northeastern Assembly, so trying to sell it was impossible. It was an impossible sell. It was an absolutely impossible sell. Uh, Dominic Cummings, I think, was leading the um, campaign against the um, uh, Assembly. Um, they had a ginormous uh, inflatable white elephant, and they were saying that the Assembly would be uh, a white elephant. We had a ginormous inflatable post box because uh, the election was uh, all by postal votes. Um, and wherever we went, we went round, we had a bus, a battle bus, we had um, um, speakers on the front of it with uh, a theme song. We had Heather Smalls, What Have You Done Today to Make Me Feel Proud, uh, playing on constant loop wherever we went um but nobody was interested nobody wanted um uh, this assembly at the time um and uh trying to campaign in 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 that area was was just a bit of a nightmare really i mean you know these were areas where labor had never really been to um because you know there were safe labor seats at the time um and of course you know strategy then was all about the marginal seats um but, you know, it was John Prescott's dream to have these regional assemblies and he was very invested in it. He put a lot of work into it. So we were doing like three days of visits a week. So me and Nan Sloan were recceing uh, these visits for two or three days. And then we're actually doing these visits for two or three days. Um, and and it was just it was just a campaign where where it was all a bit grim, really. And, um, and you know, I, I don't, I'm not really sure what our message was, but we asked, I mean, you, you know, remember John Prescott's sort of like style of campaigning. He liked to rant at people in the street, you know, so we'd have a, a microphone and a speaker. And he, he, he came up with this idea um, that we needed somebody to represent the Tory, Tories from London. So we had this student who was, I think, in Hartlepool for the by-election. He was only a young lad in his early 20s, maybe. 
And we dressed him up as a Tory boy. So we got him a pinstripe suit and a bowler hat oh, and a copy of the Financial Times and a blue rosette. And whenever John would be shouting at people in the street, along would come Tory boy and heckle him. And John said, there he is. There, Tory boy, here he is. He doesn't want you to have this assembly. Look at him, Tory boy. And, and you know, it was all it was all um, uh, staged. And um, we were doing this in Newcastle once, and this copper just picked this lad up and started to take him away. And he just saw the look of horror on his face. And John Prescott shouted, leave him alone, he's part of the act. They <laughs> <laughs> even got the mad. poor guy, because the mob could have turned on him. I know. I mean, he could have, he was being carted off by the police. He could have been arrested, you know, had a criminal record for the rest of his life. And then we had um, we had someone who worked in head office uh, who, who'd come from Sarch and Sarch in the uh, marketing team who came up with this brilliant idea um, that we should do recorded phone messages. I'm sure they were illegal then. They certainly would be now. Um, so she got John Prescott to record a phone message and it went out on your landline so it, you, you know, it dialed people's landlines and um, they picked up their landline and they got this message, hi, this is John Prescott, just reminding you to use your postal vote in the Northeast referendum. The only problem was with it that um, when it rang you, if you didn't answer, it rang you again. So people were getting these uh, phone calls at 2 and 3 a.m. in the morning and thinking their granny had died or, you know, there'd been a, a road traffic accident or whatever, and picking up the phone to listen to this message from, hi, this is John Prescott. And they were, very, they were understandably not very happy. Um, the other problem was that she got the data wrong, so it also went out in areas where there were, was no referendum in Yorkshire and the North West. I think even Brown Brighton, you know, I'm told. Um, and then, oh, yeah, I mean, it was just a disaster. Um, and then some people complained to John Prescott, and he was very upset about it. So he rang them personally from his office. So having had his phone call, hi, this is John Prescott. Then they got another one, hi, this is John Prescott. And it was John Prescott ringing them to actually say he was sorry. So I'm not sure that helped, really. <laughs> you know what? I'd completely forgotten that. I remember that because I was working for Paddy Tipping at the time, who's standing to be a police and crime commissioner. Yeah, his third term, I was working for him. It's so odd. I'd completely forgotten this. I now remember being in his car and him getting a phone call about it. <laughs> saying, fucking hell. Everyone's getting in the northeast getting recorded messages from Prescott at three in the morning. Oh my oh, god. So and, you know, the final result was, you know, 78% voted no for the regional assembly, you know. And I remember, you know, I remember on, on the night of the count, you know, and, and it was counted by a local authority area. And John said, are we going to win any local authorities? And I would say, no, no, we're not going to win one. Um, I mean, at least it was decisive. I mean, you look, you look back on it and it was probably the worst campaign in terms of results and everything else we ever worked on. But, my God, some of the best fish and chips I ever had. Man. I mean, <laughs> we went around the northeast and we had some bloody good fish and chips. I remember us going into one place and we'd had our fish and chips and we said, oh, where's John? And he's off in the kitchen. How do you make your batter love? Do you put beer in it? And I was like, come on, 
long, John. We're off to Easington now. Give a bit to go. <laughs> Dragging him away. And wherever we went, it was, I mean, the, the, the warmth of people towards him was fantastic. You get these little sort of old ladies going, eee, John Prescott, John Prescott. I'm voting no in that referendum, but I'll vote for you come the general election. It's like, just one of you just tell him you're voting yes. You don't have to. Just please, oh, I can't do that, son. <laughs> Just, oh, well, just hopeful that someone was saying they're voting yes, but nobody did. I mean, it really did. No. You know? I mean, you mentioned that, and sort of documentaries since have said, oh, this is where Dominic Cummings tested out his anti-politics narrative and all that, and he tried it out in the northeast, and then he did it in Brexit. But you'd have probably lost it anyway, wouldn't you? I mean, the, the oh, people I just so. yeah. people just didn't want it. It was just as no, simple that's as that's right. That's right. Yeah, and it's interesting now that you know um, we've come to a point where there are two, you know, sort of northeast parties standing in the Hartlepool by-election. You know, Thelma, uh, what's her name, is standing for, for well, she's standing as independent because they didn't get their um, description on the you know time with the oh, election. Man. I mean, that's pretty incompetent, really, isn't it? Um, and another former MP, Hilton Dawson, I quite liked, actually. He was my mum and dad's MP um, in a marginal seat, but he's now part of the North East Party, whatever. And was he MP. Labour as well? He was a Labour MP, Got yeah. two like... ex-Labour MPs standing yeah. as Northern yeah, yeah. Independent candidates. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, I'm hoping they, you know, they, they both lose their deposits, really, but it'll be interesting to see the, the results and uh, what comes out of that. Yeah, so that must have been a fascinating campaign to work on. I mean, you've obviously worked all over the country, all over the UK in various campaigns. Events are a big part of campaigns, and you mentioned marginal seats. I mean, I was the organiser for places like Corby and Lincoln and, and other places. Did you ever do any events on any of those? Oh, yes. <laughs> we did a very famous event in Corby in, um, in 2010. And uh, it, was the, it was the end of, uh, coming towards the end of the general election. And, I'd left um, by that point, so this is nothing to do with me. <laughs> yeah, nothing to this do with me. This is all someone that, else's yeah. fault. <laughs> and, um, uh, you know, it was pretty obvious by that stage in 2010, we weren't doing particularly well. And... Um, uh, we were doing this NHS rally in Corey with um, Phil Hope, lovely guy who is the MP, and uh, um, uh, and you know, and Alistair Campbell came up with this idea that we um, he'd met someone who was an Elvis impersonator, um, a guy called Mark from Brighton. <laughs> Mark worked for a Labour MP, and he was actually very good. He was a really nice guy, really nice guy. But Alistair had decided we needed to bring a bit of life, so that we would have this Elvis impersonator sing at this rally. Coming. That's not all to do with the NHS. And um, I remember going in like, the day before, me and Ann Kennedy, who's just brilliant, and uh, singing going through songs that Elvis couldn't sing, you know, right? We're in Corby, he mustn't sing in the ghetto. Uh, <laughs> you know, you can't, can't sing that in Corby. And um, I'm working out, and then... Alistair being Alistair had briefed the media um, on the day of the event that Labour was going to unveil this new endorser. So we woke up really early as you did on event day and we're eating our breakfast and the, the media were running this story. Who is Labour's new endorser? Is it Bill Clinton? Is it Hillary Clinton? No, it's a guy called Mark from Brighton who does Elvis impersonations. And, um, and you know, truth to form, we did this rally and, and Gordon wasn't in the best mood, I think, that day. I remember him not wanting the autocue and, you know, and I so said, I can drop the autocue, Gordon, we can get rid of it and, and all these other things. And um, 
And the plan was that Gordon and Sarah were there and they left um, the um, the room and then Elvis came in. But they actually came back in and I was like thinking, shit, there's images of, images of the Prime Minister and Sarah with, with his arm around us singing The Wonder of You. And um, I was thinking, oh my God, and they get sacked. And I think they quite enjoyed it. I think it was probably one light moment in the campaign when they just thought, what the hell? And uh, I've got photos of Anne Kennedy with with Elvis and, you know, him stood in front of the um, slogan, whatever it was, building a future fair for all or whatever it was, and stood at the lecture. It was quite balmy, um, but, you know, um, these are the things we did. <laughs> really quite mad. I mean, it's, the moment you say that, oh, you can't sing in the ghetto, you go, well, you'd have to go through the lyrics of every song he's going to sing and make sure that none of those things can be misconstrued. Because I remember when Ed Miliband was leader and his party conference speech finished and then they have that, you know, their song comes on and he's waving and he, his wife comes onto the stage with him and all that stuff that you get at the end of the leader speech. And they were playing Florence and the Machines cover of um, You've Got the Love. <laughs> and the, the, the Ed Miliband's finished his speech and then the hall is full of the words. Sometimes the going is just too tough and things go wrong no matter what I do. And you're like, why are you playing this? You, you're, you're writing the scripts for the kind of, for the newscasters that want to make you look an idiot. So, I mean, that's the problem. The moment you involve music, the moment you involve lyrics, basically any lyric could be misconstrued. Absolutely. Yeah. A little yeah, less conversation, yeah. a little more action. You're like, yeah, you can see yeah. something going, yeah. and it was action that these voters wanted. You're like, oh, no! <laughs> <laughs> it's all gone it's wrong. always so hard, always so hard. And trying to get a campaign song is always so hard because you've got to get the rights to use the song. You can't just, you know, play it willy-nilly. And, uh, well, Trump did, I suppose, with his YMCA. He didn't give a shit, did he? But, um, <laughs> but, you know, the idea is you should actually ask permission or whatever. So so people think it's easy to get a campaign song. It's really, really not. It's quite difficult. Yeah, and weren't Labour going to use Reach for the Stars in 2001? Because we used Lifted by the Lighthouse family, but I think there was going to be an S-Club song, but wasn't one of S-Club caught with weed? And then Probably, that, that yeah. was the rumour, so the party had <laughs> won it. I was like, we'll still use it, but there was so I mean, risk-averse. Is that the worst thing nowadays, caught with a bit of weed? You know? <laughs> <laughs> I, remember oh, the, um, I remember the Olden by-election, which was not... Um, it was one of the Olden by-elections, when Debbie Abrahams was elected. And uh, we went up there and... Um, I was with Chrissy Brazil uh, and Jackie Stacey and all these people who, you know, worked for the party for years. And we were campaigning the night before and it was freezing, it was wet. And we're on this estate and the stench of cannabis coming from this window. I'd never smelled cannabis so strong in my life. And I said to Chrissy, come and smell this. And she was like, oh my God. And we just stood there and said, you carry on Lisa to me and Chrissy are going to stand here for 10 minutes. <laughs> We had this as a colleague with us. He said, Well, what does it smell like? Well, it smells like cannabis. There's no way to describe it, but she just couldn't smell it at all. But me and Christy will never forget that. It was um, it was pretty grim by election, that. And the you know, the day after on polling day, uh, we did the 5 a.m. slots, and I was driving, they given me, and I'm not a good driver, as you, as you probably know, they given me this ginormous sort of people carrier, an eight-seater to drive. I managed to crash it twice on polling day. <laughs> 
in the morning I reversed into a wooden fence and then uh, later in the day I was driving around I think I was taking people to different campaign centres and, and getting poll numbers and uh, I managed to reverse it into a metal fence and did quite a lot of damage but fortunately it wasn't my car it was <laughs> you know higher cars so it was covered by party insurance. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Is the pressure on party staff during a campaign? No job is below anyone. You just have to muck in and do it all. Leaflet, drive... And if you're driving people around, particularly if you're driving candidates around, you're at the mercy of the traffic, you're under pressure, you know, your car becomes a state because you've got leaflets in it and all this sort of thing. I always think driving the candidate around must be one of the most thankless tasks because that they're going to rant in the car as well. So you're not just a driver, you're kind of, you're, the, you're there as like a therapist in a way. It's like you're there to kind of keep them calm. I mean, you obviously spent a lot of time on the road with Prescott. Did he ever sort of lose his... <laughs> what a stupid question. Did he ever get angry? At <laughs> times, yeah. <laughs> I mean, he was, he was, you know, on his best form, he was fantastic company, and he, and he was superbly loyal to those of us who worked for him. I mean, you know, always, he did defend us to the hill. And, um, but there were times, I mean, um, and, you know, there were times when he had good reason to be angry. So there was, I remember one, one visit when um, we were due to go to somewhere in the West Midlands in Telford, and um, all these Greenpeace protesters had climbed on his roof of his house um, uh, during the campaign. And his wife um, was in the house, because she didn't know, she knew there were people on the roof, but she didn't know who they were. And, you know, as far as she was concerned, they could be burglars or, you know, people trying to get in and injure her or whatever. And uh, he was incandescent with rage, as, as you can imagine. And um, uh, I remember we had to walk him around this sort of like car park. So he was wanting to ring um, the uh, editor of Sky News. And um, anyway, we got him in his car and he went up. But we had to then cancel that visit to the West Midlands. And it was it was a really superb visit to a tech place in Talbot and Rican. They'd allowed all the members in. And, you know, I had to be the one who went there. So I'm really sorry he's not coming anymore. It's just like, that's the worst feeling when you have to do that. It's really horrible, particularly for the people who spent so long setting up the visit and all that work and it's really really awful that's terrible i would just think about oldham for a second because um a really interesting place obviously for a while the bmp were doing really well there yeah and uh you know in a period where they were were making inroads in all sorts of places so that must have been quite a ferocious atmosphere 
cannabis, the cannabis probably helped chill people out a bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, you know, it's one of those towns in the northwest, and you know, where perhaps people feel a little bit forgotten, and um, you know, and, and um, you know, they, they've got some really good politicians there, both locally and and the MPs there now, and um, you know, um, you know, I've got people who are friends who are councillors there and who've done uh, a lot of our training, and you know, really the leader and the deputy leader of both done my next generation training and they're both really really good people and you know you want them to win and you know I'm rooting for them that they hold on and they do well in the elections uh, today because they're fantastic and they do a good job for the people of Oldham. And was that by-election caused by Phil Woolas effectively getting yes frocks yes it was yeah yeah yeah, that, what, yeah so what happened there he was that something about something he put on a leaflet he put something on a leaflet and um yeah and the lid basically took him to court um and uh and there was a court case and they ruled that i mean it was i think there was the election was very very close the result in the election was very very close and they ruled that this leaflet was um uh untrue or whatever and decided that there should be a by-election and of course he couldn't stand as the candidate so um uh yeah that was that election yeah, yeah so yeah. controversial so what he, I, I genuinely can't remember i just remember a general fuss about it had he made a claim about the lib dem candidate or something because that's really rare i mean there's a lot of leaflets get put out in elections that aren't true <laughs> not everyone yeah, goes I, through this yeah i think there was some some i can't remember the exact specifics of it but but there's definitely something quite serious and uh um, yeah, I mean, you know, there was this, the Lib Dems took it to court and uh, and won their case, but they didn't win the by-election, um, so um, it was all a bit in vain, really. And did it, did it come up on the doorstep? Did people say, oh, he's that bloke who put that thing on the leaflet? Or were people like, why are we having a by-election? We only voted the other year. Yeah, I think there was probably a little bit of um, uh, annoyance at the fact that they had to vote again quite quickly after the general election. So, uh, uh, yeah, it didn't, it didn't help them, it didn't help them. I remember meeting Phil Willis at a... Because um, he was quite a prominent Labour MP, and he was one of those campaigning MPs that was at a lot of by-elections and things. And I remember meeting him at a by-election once, and he was... I'd heard... Other, I've since heard other people tell the joke, but he was the first person I'd heard tell that joke. There's a Tory and a Lib Dem on the edge of a cliff. <laughs> Who do you push off first? The Tory. Business before pleasure. Business before pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> it's only... I really laughed at the time. It's only retelling it now. It's quite a horrible joke. And I apologise. <laughs> no Tories or Lib Dems were hurt in the making of this joke or in this podcast. But he was the first person I remember telling that joke. I thought, oh, that was a really good joke. Um, so then it was a shame. I mean, it, what, 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 happened to him? What, what happened to him after that by-election? Uh, he, he's set up a consultancy now. He's with some other former MPs. And, uh, you know, I, I still keep in contact with him from time to time. Um, and uh, I think he's doing rather well. So, uh, oh, you know, good, life, good. life moves on after politics, doesn't it? But, we'll have to get him on. Do you think he'd be up for coming on? Who knows? He may well be. <laughs> I'll reach out to him his consultancy. Yeah, yeah. So, um, Oldham... Hartlepool. What about local elections then? Because they're different to by-elections because you're often dealing with, with a quite similar in the sense that you get a slightly lower turnout and it's not necessarily the same thing that would happen in a local election that would happen in a general election. I mean, you must have been involved in local elections across the whole of yeah. Britain. 
Uh, I, I mean, I, you know, I was, uh, when I was an organiser in the Rugby 97, I had uh, eight local authorities. So we often had um, by-elections and, uh, and we had one crucial by-election in uh, 1997, um, just before the general election. So 1995, um, Labour had done really, really well, you know, in Tony's first uh, local elections, we'd swept the board and gained over 2,000 seats. Um, and we won every ward in Redditch for a council, um, which was unheard of. You know, there's one ward called the West Ward at the time, um, which was always solidly Tory. And we'd won it by about 30 votes. And um, sadly, the um, young councillor there, there passed away. And um, so the spotlight was on this by-election. It was in the run-up to 97. And the BBC sent people to, you know, can Labour win this ward? Or, is you know, you know, because if they don't do well, is it, what's going to happen in the general election Redditch was a key seat and we put all our resources into this um by-election we did the 5am leaflet drop we did uh, as many direct mails as we could possibly get away with doing in in the expenses um and um I, I remember going to the count and it was it was too close to call and we finally uh got the result on the tourists had sneaked in by two votes uh, <gasps> ahead of us so we were quite gutted that we'd lost but we we're also quite pleased that we'd done as well as we could and um, I'd printed most of the materials on my risograph you know which he did in those days um you know and I tried to produce the uh, the dodgy bar chart with um you know I had a blue drum and a red drum and all the rest and I remember the leader of the conservative group at the time denouncing me from um, the stage, you know, for my uh, letters, you know, and this bar chart. And I thought, well, if I've done that um, quite well, then I'm quite happy with that. So Did he mentioned me by name. She she just said the uh, Labour organiser who's put all this stuff out and this bar chart and we've never had such tactics in Reddit. It's like well, we wanted to win, you know. And um, uh, and um, anyway. Um, Sadly, we didn't, but um, we came pretty close. And it was a good enough result to, to show that we were on course to win the general election, which, of course, we didn't win that seat quite well. But local elections really matter. And, you know, turnout, as you said, is low um, often. And, you know, Berry Council one year came down to the drawing of lots who control yeah. Berry Council. There was, there was one ward um that uh whoever won um would control the council and it was a dead heat between labor and the conservatives and uh, they drew straws and labor won and you know so our control of a council came down to the actual drawing of straws in in one ward so that's as tight as it can get and uh, i think people underestimate really how few votes uh sometimes uh mean you know who, who controls the council um, you know, so um, it is important, you know, when people are thinking, you know, they want their council and they want their services, um, you know, with a particular party that they go out and vote for them. And who won it on the drawing of lots? Uh, we did, Labour did. So um, we held we held the council by by literally pulling out a straw. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know what? You're absolutely right. I think people would be shocked if they knew, particularly not so much where you have an elected mayor, because obviously the, the electorate for that one individual is so much bigger. But in you could become a councillor on a couple of hundred votes and end up running a city. You, as an yeah. individual, you could end up then, you get onto the council, you then become leader of the largest group and you're in, and you've got a multi-million pound budget and only two or 300 people have voted for you, possibly less. Yeah, yeah, It's yeah, incredible. Absolutely. Yeah, 
yeah, it's mad, really. But uh, but you know, that's uh, it's, it's really it annoys me when people say, oh, I don't tend to bother with the smaller elections because these are the elections that actually probably have most impact on their lives, you know, in terms of local services. Um, but people just don't necessarily make that connection. Um, so the counts themselves, then obviously, if it comes down to the drawing of lots, that's that's really tense. I mean, they can be pretty tense anyway. I remember being at Nottingham's count. Must have been two thousand and six or seven. I got sent. I hadn't even had anything to do with Nottingham's campaign, but our regional office was in Nottingham, so I got sent down and was just, you know, if it was close and we were behind, asking for a recount. If it was close and we were ahead, say there's no need for a recount. Arguing <laughs> spoiled ballots, you know, in our favour, all that, all that stuff that you have to do, and you feel like it's going to be tight in the end. As people know, and Nottingham has been Labour run for a very long time now. Yeah. It was a very comfortable victory. But the count, as a member of staff, people just think, oh, it's a bit of a kind of party. You go down there, you watch the votes being counted. The pressure on you and the party is on it. You going, you need to let us know what's happening. You're like, well, yeah. they're opening these ballots face down. I can't see them. And head office stronger, you need to let us know. Like, I can't see anything. I can't give yeah. you a steer. <laughs> it's so stressful. The pressure at counts is, 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 you know, is, is very, very tough. And I remember um, I was a Euro agent back in, oh, 1994, you know, and... Uh, You'll never have to do that again. <laughs> it was when they had constituencies. Um, and it was before you had UKIP and all these anti-European parties. So, you know, quite a lot of people had gone into the polling station and put a big cross through the entire ballot paper. And I think that was their way of expressing that they, they didn't want to be part of, uh, um, you know, vote for, for a European candidate. But the returning officer decided it was a good vote where the axis of the cross was. And <laughs> the natural law party was who... Uh, managed to pick up those more votes in Coventry and North Warwickshire than they probably should have done. But we didn't, because we'd won by 45,000. We said, like, just let them have it. You know? So had it been a bit closer, I might have been a bit more concerned, but at the time it was like, nah, they can have them. Um, they really the can. natural law party. That is a Remember, blast from the flying, You know, those farming yeah. broadcasts where people would leap through the air, legs crossed, all the bit. I remember being at the count in Broxstone in 2001, which was a marginal seat. It was just the seat that I happened to live in. And I just got involved in the party. And Nick Palmer was the MP. Mm -hmm. And um, I think because I was young, he was like, oh, do you want to go to the count? So I didn't really know what I was doing. I was 18. I just voted and went down there and tried to sort of help out a bit. And I remember everyone thought Mandelson was going to lose his seat. The Tories at uh, our count thought Mandelson was going to lose his seat. So they literally wheeled in a big telly <laughs> to basically like demoralise the Labour people. Obviously, Mandelson wins and gives that great. I'm, I'm a fighter, not a quitter. They underestimated Hartley Paul. They underestimated me. So the atmosphere in the hall changed at that point because they're all like, "Oh, he's held on." And then people thought, "Well, Labour are going to hold on here." And I remember, I was 18. I didn't know how to behave. And um, this guy, who was a, a local Labour activist, Trevor, he was a fireman. We knew what the result was, so they just called the candidates over. It was clear that uh, Nick Palmer had won. And he goes, uh, he goes, come on, let's let's get in the mix. And I was just sort of watching from where I was. And he, he wanted to go and stand in among the Tories when the result was announced and so he could just cheer. And I was like, yeah, I can't do that. He said, they've been doing it to me for years. I've waited for this day for years. I'm going to go. <laughs> so I was just like, uh, yeah, all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just sort of stood with him just so that he could go, yeah. I was like, I can't. I was like this isn't for me. I, I don't think I want to be. I kind of, even though some of them weren't that. Pleasant was on the night. It's like they've lost. Like they don't need it. 
rubbing I, in their faces. In 97, I, I went to, I had two, uh, two key seats, uh, Worcester and Redditch, you know, both were crucial to us winning the general election, but Redditch was the more difficult seat to win, so I decided I should go to the Redditch camp, and um, there was a lovely man who was leader of the council, sadly no longer with us, called Albert Warred, he'd led the council for about 40 years, chair of the CLP for about 40 years, and he, he was just wonderful, and he was agent to, to Jackie Smith, who was the um, candidate, and Redditch Town Hall is quite small, and we had county council elections and the general election, and all the votes had been put into the same ballot boxes, so to separate the county election votes, tally those up, um, as well as the general election votes, and it was, because it was quite small there's not lots of space to count and it was all very much well we'll separate those but then they all went for a break the counties decided they needed a break so, like 3 30 in the morning it's like where is everybody they've all gone for a cup of tea and I, you know all these results we got a, a small portable telly in albert's leader's office there was no other television provided or by the councillor or anything and you know we kept going through and you know we'd won crosby we'd won edgebaston we'd won you know or probably hastings and rival that stage, all these seats, and Albert kept saying to me, We've lost this one, mate. We've lost this one. I was like, Albert, we haven't. I can't be the organizer. The only organizer that's lost his key seat. And uh, he, was, he was absolutely convinced we'd lost. But um, anyway, we won by over 6,000 in the end, so, uh, which was a mighty relief to all of us, um, I'm sure. One of the um, jewels in the crown, really, the most powerful Labour politician in the country, Sadiq Khan, who runs London. Looks like you'll get re-elected. Yeah. Uh, Labour obviously have a chequered history in the capital. They, they Frank <laughs> Dobson lost to Ken Livingston. Then Ken Livingston was let back in. Then Ken Livingston lost to Boris Johnson, who did two terms. Um, did you work on any of those mayoral campaigns? Uh, I didn't work on those. I, I, I tell you what I did do, um, which is all a bit secret squirrel. I, um, uh, I took some time off as a Labour organiser to um, help Frank Dobson in his selection. So when Frank Dobson was um, were, was getting was up for selection against um, uh, uh, Ken, um, I was I was sent <gasps> from the West Midlands to the uh, Barking Ibis, I mean, the glamour, um, two weeks in the Barking Ibis. Oh, and, um, and basically I had uh, East London seats and my job was to um, uh, to get members to vote for Frank Dobson in the selection. I took it as leave, obviously. And, um, uh, you know, and, and, and you know, he was selected as a candidate. And uh, I remember, you know, Frank being Frank, he was very generous. He wrote me a lovely handwritten letter afterwards thanking me for, for coming down and spending two weeks in London. But now I'm delighted that it looks like Sadiq's going to win and, and win big. You know, I mean, he's been a fantastic mayor and I remember actually the last mayoral election um, because that Goldsmith was his opponent and he ran the most despicable um, campaign I think even most Tories would admit now it was a despicable campaign and on the eve of poll I was coming back from work um, it was the Wednesday before before polling day, and I arrived at East Croydon. And I was suited, and you know, and there were these Tories at East Croydon, and they said, "Would you like to come and meet Zach Goldsmith?" I said, "Oh, I would." I said, "I'd love to." So they took me straight out to him. So I shook his hand. I said, "Hello, Mr. Goldsmith." I said, 
can I ask you why you've run such a racist campaign against Sadiq Khan? And he sort of stepped back. He didn't know what to do. And he was a bit sort of flawed. He said, I haven't run a racist campaign. I said, well, you have run a racist campaign. I said, everyone says it's a racist campaign. I said, Peter O'Bone, he's announced he's not voting for you tomorrow because your campaign's been so despicable. He said to me, Peter O'Bone is a nut job. Um, I said, do you think it's appropriate to make slurs about someone's mental health? Um, and we had this conversation, I could see, you know, Gavin Barwell was there and, and the, the local tourists, I could see them getting more and more nervous and um, and they were desperate for me to go away, but I wasn't going to go until I had my moment about him and his racist campaign. And uh, anyway, then I went on my way and, you know, we got it out on Twitter and everyone was tweeting what a dreadful man that Goldsmith was. But um, my... One of my best friends, Fiona Twycross, was um, an, a list candidate. Um, and so when it came to the results, we were at City Hall um, and I was with Fiona and her, and her husband and um, waiting for the declaration. And the declaration was a long time away because we were still trying to sort the final votes. And so we decided we needed to nip out and get some food. And so we've been sat around for ages. So we went to get the lift and the lift came down and who should be in the lift but Zach Goldsmith and his mates. <laughs> I just looked up and said, hello again. But he didn't seem very pleased to see me really, which was, I thought it was a bit rude, quite frankly. <laughs> so I was very pleased he lost. Um, this campaign, some of the stuff they put out, there was a letter that you wrote to, a work, I can't remember which community it was now, saying that like people's jewellery jewelry was at risk, like their family oh, heirlooms and things. It's dreadful, yeah, absolutely dreadful. And, you know, it's amazing that having had such a bad candidate, they managed to have someone equally bad in this campaign, really. You know, it's managed to upset every, any, every particular group that there is, in every minority group, and just said some awful things about people. I think I did not find a decent candidate, or they just not care about London. You know? <laughs> So with Frank Dobson then, because the historical reading of what happened in, in 2000 is that uh, Labour stitched it up against Ken Livingston. Livingston stands as a, a, an independent and then Labour need a big name to go up against him and Dobson was effectively a, a sacrificial lamb. Yeah. Did it feel like that at the time and do you think Frank Dobson felt like that? I guess we'll never know. I mean, you know, I, I felt a bit sorry for him because he obviously had to resign as um, uh, a cabinet minister to to stand, and then of course he lost, and he never came back into cabinet. And you just, you know, you felt a bit like sorry for him um, in that, you know, he um, he did what the party asked of asked of him, and uh, um, it probably ended his, you know, political career to 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 that degree. I mean, he obviously carried on as an MP, but um, you know, he, he was clearly someone in the cabinet, and I just felt a bit sorry for him, really. Um, you know, because he was a good guy and he was a nice guy, um, uh, who, you know, who deserved our support. Um, I suppose in the long run. Well, although the party let Ken Livingston back in. Yeah, I, I was very uh, anti that, you know, I mean, I don't know why we did that. And, uh, you know, he went on to be the candidate and then, then lost again, didn't he? You know, so um, uh, there we are, you know, lesson for us. Well, there are also elections in Scotland and Wales. Um, I worked on... I worked on the Cathcart by-election for a couple of days and I did Livingston. They were running at the same time, Cathcart and Livingston. Livingston was caused by the death of Robin Cook and the candidate was a guy called Jim Devine who went on to be notorious. Yeah. One of the few MPs incarcerated in the expenses scandal and his campaign 
I think he's, I think, I think kind of like checkered past to say the least. And um, this all cropped up during the campaign. But I remember being on one street where Routley was door knocking in Livingston. And there's like a group of like local kids on BMXs. And we got all the leaflets and stickers and stuff. And one of the kids could say, Oh, is that the Labour Party? Is that the, is that the Tony Blue one? I said, Yeah, it is. Yeah. And he went, I wouldn't have pissed on him if he was on fire. <laughs> <laughs> it's still one of my happiest memories of my time working in politics. Oh, it made me howl. A kid, he must have been like nine years old. <laughs> I remember I remember campaigning in the uh what's by this would have been Adrian Shots. Adrian Shots. Um it was, it was when Helen Little um uh left and uh, when Helen Little became MP so long ago I can't remember, but I mean at the time, you know, the I went up as um uh, as a volunteer to spend some time, but, but it was vicious up there, you know. The, the Scottish National Party were were vicious then, you know. And, um, I mean, look at them now. I mean, Saint Nicola can't do any wrong, can she? You know, she just like I mean, she's got a dreadful record, yeah. <laughs> she still manages to be way ahead, you know. Poor little Ian Murray is the one Labour MP and he does a fantastic job. Um, but you know, who'd have thought, you know. 10 years ago that we'd have you know one Labour MP in Scotland you know um but you know hopefully we've got a new leader there who seems very dynamic um and it's going to take time of course it won't be for this election but you know let's hope Scottish Labour's recovery starts now. It's so funny when you're a member of staff and you get like bust all around the country because depending on where you go your accent gives you away a bit so if you're in like the northeast and you sound like me or you they're a little bit when you go to Wales or Scotland, depending on what door you knock on, I remember in, uh, I think it was the Blinded Gwent by election, and knock, it's the amount of people that said, oh, are they bussing you in, are they, boy? Are they bussing you in from England, are they? They must be worried, boy. Or you're like, uh, no, you're a small sort of, yeah. But it's actually, you're put in situations as members of party staff, and this is true of all political parties, where you kind of, it's like being in the army, you just get sent to different areas, um, to fight these campaigns, and you're just basically just shoved out there on the on the front line, very little training given, <laughs> dealing directly with the general public, who you know a certain proportion of which are always going to be directly hostile to you. Yeah. <laughs> no one's trained me for what to say to this. I was like, uh, yeah, but you know, I care about Wales, isn't it? Just trying to like sort of busk an answer on the doorstep. One of my female friends, who I probably shouldn't name because I'm not sure she'd want me to, but she went to Wales and uh, went into this Labour club and someone said to me, are you the stripper, laugh? Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. I mean, this is the thing as well, like some of those Labour clubs, and I'm sure it's true. Although a lot of people, I think the old cliche is that Conservative clubs are a bit nicer than Labour clubs, like in terms of like decor and, and upkeep, because I'm sure there's some old Liberal clubs as well, but... A lot of Labour clubs are a bit... They're a bit rank, aren't they? Yeah. Oh, man, crikey. Like, you wouldn't... I get that back in the day they were centres of the community and there'd be live entertainment, but once you get in... Some of them, I'm sure, are still lovely, but some of the ones I would visit on by-elections and things, you think, oh, God, this isn't a great advert for the Labour Party. 
I started my career in in the West Midlands, and my office was attached to a Labour club. So uh, it was in Bromsgrove, uh, within Hereford and Worcester, and uh, I had the smallest office. It was basically not much bigger than a loo, but um, uh, it was attached to this Labour club. So um, you know, we were there like day and night. It was handy; you could get a pint at the end and some pork scratchings. You know, come ten o'clock when you were still printing your leaflets. So uh, it was quite handy for those purposes. Oh, Martin, this has been an absolute pleasure, mate. Thank you so much for coming back on. Um, Thank you for having me. Obviously, most people will listen to this on polling day, so there'll be a lot of people out there leafleting, door knocking, they'll be on polling stations taking people's numbers. Do you think... that It's called a GOTV operation, isn't it? Get out the vote. And yeah, every party yeah. runs this. They talk to their supporters on polling day. And they... Do you think it works? I think it does. I think, you know, if you measure what um, uh, you do in elections um, and we do lots of stuff and we spend lots of money, I think the only thing that you can measure is actually when you do a proper GOTV operation. And we talked about taking numbers um, uh, to cross off who's voted. And then in the old traditional days when you'd have reading pads, and now you have what we call walk sheets. Um, and you look at where you knock up on polling day and then you look about an hour later, if you've taken numbers, and you can see that turnout often rises um, from where you've been knocking up. So um, the streets that you've done, you can see a bit later on when the numbers come in that actually, yes, more people do go out and vote. So they do need reminding, they do need dragging out to vote. And particularly in tight elections, I think it does make a big difference, yeah. Um, otherwise, parties just wouldn't spend the resources doing it. Um, I'm not sure driving around with a, a microphone in a car like people used to do makes any difference. Unfortunately, I don't think anybody does that anymore, maybe in some areas. Um, but actually targeted, um, you know, um, uh, GOTV um, is crucial. And, you know, it's going to be difficult for us today. I mean, we've got, um, you know, we're not allowed in uh, people's houses. Um, Godness knows where people are going to go to the toilet. Uh, but we've got gazebos in uh, what I'm going to be. And we've actually got, going to have gazebos. God knows what the weather's going to be like or whether they'll blow away because it's, you know, up on the hills, sort of, you know, um, of Croydon and stuff facing into London. It's always two degrees colder up there and a bit windy. Um, but, you know, we are running campaign centres from gazebos. Um, and it's quite interesting, really, that, you know, um, the government has said people cannot go into people's houses, they can't um, give lifts and all these things. But yet from Friday, councils are expected to meet in person again. So, um, you know, all councils have been told they've got to meet in person, no hybrid meetings, nobody online. So the new Buckinghamshire Authority elects, I think, 147 councillors um, uh, today. And you think, well, how are they going to meet, you know, and socially distance, you know, with, with officers as well? They need somewhere the size of Wembley Stadium. So it's all a bit mad, really. But, um, you know, we'll, we'll get through it and uh, it'll be an interesting an interesting polling day. A heck of a use of Wembley Stadium, wasn't it? A, a live <laughs> meeting of the Buckinghamshire and whatever it was, Council. I'd go to that. I'd buy a ticket for that. It'd just be me and you in the corporate box. Leathered. Um, it, it's so good to know, actually, and I kind of did know this as obviously as a former organiser, but for all the stuff about the air war and online campaigning and Facebook and Cambridge Analytica and all that, in the end, regardless of technology, in the end, there's really no substitute for just face-to-face, -face, knocking on doors, looking people Absolutely. in the eye. 
Absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. People want to feel some connection to, you know, their politicians. And, you know, it's no accident that the politicians who do the most campaigning um, and work the hardest, you know, probably often have the best results. I mean, look at people like Siobhan McDonough, who's turned Mitchum and Morden from a marginal seat into a safe seat, you know, consistently safe seat because she just never stops, um, you know, and uh, the people who do all that, you know, do build up, um, you know, uh, a, a bank of people who will vote for them, irrespective, perhaps sometimes of politics and if when i think of some of those marginal seats that we lost in 2010 had that some of those candidates had the same spirit as siobhan mcdonough vernon coker and activists from other parties will know their mps that do the same there'll be people listening to this who have snp members of parliament they think of tories lib dems the ones that really work those marginal seats and hold them 2010 was so close in the end yeah if yeah. a few more would have been like Siobhan McDonough, the yeah. fate of this country could have been so different. <laughs> Campaigning so works. Well, Martin, have a great polling day. Thank you very, very much. And will you be at, you won't be at a camp. What, what will you do? No, what, oh, I'll be in my bed. <laughs> what time are you finished? What time are you finished? You won't be on a polling station till 10 at night, will you? Uh, we'll, we'll, I'm not sure we'll be on till 10. I think uh, we're, we're, we are, we've got five by-elections, I'll say, so um, most of the day in uh, in the one ward and then they'll shift resources later into another ward. So um, uh, I'll be out until, till, you know, the end of the um, knocking up, but um, uh, then we'll see. There's, as I said, there's not a lot of places counting um, on Thursday, I don't believe, or today. Um, so we'll, we'll see how many um, results come through. Um, and then there'll be a long way for, for all the rest of them to come through. And any tips for activists of any party today? You know, is it, I mean, uh, I remember an old, um, an old mate of mine, Paddy Caswell, had what he called a dibber that was basically a, a spatula that he used to stuff leaflets through doors so that his fingers didn't get bitten yeah. by dogs. Have you got any tips like that or how to stay warm at a polling station or do you take a flask of tea with you? <laughs> no, I tend, not, I, mean, I tend to wrap up quite well. You know, at my age, I've got my thermal vests and I'm not rub seeders a bit. <laughs> I mean, you know, I think my 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 tip would be enjoy polling day. You know, it's a great experience. I'm sure. I'm sure. You know, everyone who's involved in politics does enjoy polling day because it's the end of your campaign, and you know, you're all knackered. Um, but you know, it's the one day where you get that chance to to really make the difference in terms of your organisation. So. Um, you know, but yeah, don't put your fingers through letterboxes. Um, you know, we have these things, um, but we the core posting pegs that we, you know, we basically the LJ Labour group, we copy them from the post office and they are plastic things that you put your leaflet or your, your letter in and shove them through the um letterbox. And you know, they're the most popular thing we give away because uh, you know, our activists have all had their experience where they've had their fingers nipped or whatever. So, uh, yeah, if, if you can't have one of those, take a spatula or a wooden spoon, yeah. <laughs> we should do we should do a, a competition to win one of these things for political party <laughs> yeah. listeners. Have you got any knocking about in a box anywhere? Uh, I'm sure we've got plenty. Uh, yeah, in the office. Yeah, yeah, more than happy to supply. If you, would, if you yeah. was, if yeah. you would like a, what do you call it? A posting peg. Yeah. If you would yeah. like a posting peg, email the show politicalpartypodcast at gmail.com. and I'll send them your way, Martin. One Very last good. thing, actually. One thing I always struggled with after a campaign was that kind of period afterwards we've got it you've got this it's intense focus on a really clear deadline and there is a binary outcome and then if you win great if you lose as a lot of people will 
and anyway, even if you win, there's that sort of weird period of just, oh, we're not in campaign mode anymore. I never really de- dealt with that. I was always, I always just found myself in limbo for a couple of weeks and then would gradually recover. But it was almost like <laughs> you sort of demobbed, aren't you? And then you, you don't have any, you know, the, the party never really did anything about it. You just sort of carried no, on. it's a difficult period. And particularly if you're agent, because then, you know, when everyone else has had, you know, then you've got to sort the expenses out. Oh, and man. That's a, a big job and a job that you've got to get right because, you know, it's a legal um, part of the campaign. So I always think, you know, having been an agent, I don't want to be an agent again. <laughs> it's tougher now than it was in my day. Um, and, uh, you know, you know it is a difficult job. And, you know, just reminding people they can't go on holiday because they've got to sign the forms and all those things. So, and of course, you know, when, when you're, um, you know, if you're local government, um, well, if you're any candidate, as soon as the election's over, you've got to start work. Um, so councils will have their, you know, meetings um, as soon as the elections are over. And, um, you know, the MSPs or the Welsh um, Senate members and all those people, they'll literally start work um, straight away. And of course, um, well, anyone who's up for election will start work straight away. So while some of us, you know, get a chance for a rest, um, the people who are actually elected then have to, you know, go back and do their jobs or start their jobs. So it's a tough time on them as well. I do indeed. Martin, always a pleasure. Thank you so much. And you. Thank you very much, Matt. Cheers, mate. Well, there you go, Martin Angus. Fantastic fun. For those of you that work in politics, regardless of what party you work for, you will recognise so much of that. And I hope as you're out there today, on the knocker, on the leaflet round, on the polling station, that this gives you um, some uh, some form of catharsis and entertainment. Um, and for those of you that don't or haven't worked in politics, an insight to what it actually involves on days like this. So go out and vote. Enjoy this wonderful festival of democracy. I get so excited about polling day, even though I don't work in politics anymore. There's just something in the air. <laughs> and I know that sounds so silly, but it is. It's almost like Good Friday, even though... Uh, even though <laughs> Don't go to church anymore. There's something about Good Friday. I was thinking, oh, a bit of an atmosphere about it. I'm entirely conditioned to think that. I realise that. But it's the same with polling day. It's the same as FA Cup final day. You think, oh, you can almost feel something. So um, good luck to all of you um, as candidates, activists, citizens, electors, passive bystanders, cynics, whatever media, um, whatever, whatever uh, group you fall into. I hope you enjoy polling day. Watching the aftermath, watching those results come in is going to be thrilling. It will take a few days, as Martin said, and I've got some brilliant guests lined up just to go through what the results mean once the results are in for different parties in different parts of the UK. So they'll be out in a few days. Uh, happy polling day. And please spread the word. I shall, <laughs> I shall not. I was going to say, I shan't mention the live dates and the podcast and the book. But again, I've done it. And you can get tickets for those live shows including with a former MP for Hartlepool, Peter Mandelson, on the 24th of May at mattford.com slash live. Happy polling day. Ta-ra. Planning for your next trip? 
Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.